quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. You're listening to the podcast, So There I Was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode 55 with Cam. 55. Hard to believe. It doesn't seem right. And what a great interview Cam was. This was a lot of fun, yeah. Uh, Reached out to us uh, through email, and it turns out he spent a few years as an American Airlines pilot, but is also a very talented author, and he wrote the book Highwire, which is this week's show title, obviously. Fun book to read. Uh, Initially published, uh, was it the week after or the week before? I think it was nine eleven before because uh, they yeah. pulled, they pulled yeah they pulled it off the shelf. It was way too close to nine eleven. Uh, it involved uh, a terror plot and airplanes and and blackmail and all that kind of stuff. And they kind of pulled it, and so he republished it recently. And it, I've read it. It was a fun read. Uh, keep you on the edge of your seat. Like man, the next next thing coming down the pike. What is it? And it was good good twists and turns, but well written. Fun to read. So. Uh, and but, he has an amazing story himself, just a personal story on how he, how he got to the United States and how yeah. he became a pilot. And, and he had some pretty uh, amazing flying stories to boot. Yeah. Born in Iran, taken to India as a young teenager, left in a boarding school. Uh, he and his brothers made it to England, then made it to the United States to go to university. And he had a friend at work who took him for an airplane ride. And the rest, as they say, is history. He had an yeah. absolute ball doing that. So, uh, one other thing I do want to mention, though, before we get out of the way and, and go to Cam here, Fig, is uh, our new sponsor, Factor. I mean, is that great or what? We appreciate the support that we are getting from from people around the world as this show is getting bigger. People are reaching in and trying to help out. And so, we want to spread the word for Factor. We're going to talk more about it later in the show, but I'll tell you right now, go to factormeals.com slash so there I was 50 and use the code so there I was 50. That's so there I was five zero to get 50% off your first box. Amazing stuff. That's meals ready in two minutes, pre-cooked, but man, this ain't TV dinner stuff. This is gourmet good stuff. And they've got keto and vegan and high protein and all kinds of really really neat options for you I'm to choose from right now I'm yeah, starving right? right now i know so, so i think the next thing we do though is get out of the way and listen to high water we really appreciated that i'm just kidding no i'm not There I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was, Teterboro, New Jersey, at the airport. One of the older uh, Learjet versions happened to be uh, Frank Sinatra's airplane, big uh, Lady Barbara in the front of it. Nice. Uh, we come in about an hour before the flight, do the pre-flight, and uh, I'm looking at oxygen. And oxygen is right at zero. Oh, so I get a hold of maintenance. It was a company that was, uh, you know, out of Long Beach. And, uh, and I call the guys up and they said, guys, we got oxygen at zero. We got to, you know, we got to get it serviced. Guys are on our way out there. He said, no, you got to fly the airplane. You got to bring it all the way out here. You know, it's zero oxygen. You got to be kidding me. You know, it's, it's a leer. You know, we're going to go out 35, 37,000 feet going back out there. No. He said, you uh, bring that Learjet and you 
grab them and you bring them out here or you're fired where you stand. And wow. like a complete dipshit, I flew the airplane with zero oxygen and brought <laughs> it to Long Beach. Because I was looking for work and it was hard to get and oh my god crap out of me. Well, so there I was. Wow. Well, welcome to So There I Was. This is Fig, and uh, I am actually uh, out of the woods from uh, Turkey Almost Killing Expedition. And where are you, my co-horse repeat? I'm home again tonight for almost 48 more hours, then I'm off to Europe. Glad to be home for the ending, ending my vacation. And what you just heard there was the first of many funny, good stories, I'm sure, coming up from our guest tonight, Author, retired American captain, Cam Majd, and he is the author of Highwire, coming out, going to hit one of Amazon's uh, number one bestsellers next week, and we are excited to have you with us, Cam. Welcome aboard. Yeah, welcome aboard, Cam. Thanks, guys. Thanks for this having me. This is great. So um, you've got uh, you've got quite the history. Go at some of it pre-show. So let's just hop right into that. Usually we ask, how do you get into aviation? But you were not born in the United States, so I'm going to ask, uh, how did you get to the United States? Give us a little background there and uh, tell us about your travels and travails, if you would. Uh, there was lots of that. I was born in Iran. I lived there for the first 13 years of my life and then went to India. I, uh, my father took me and a couple of brothers and kind of dropped us off. And so we were there for about uh, three and a half, four years, went to school, boarding school, kind of learned the languages, learned English, learned a little bit of, you know, how to speak Indian. And then I uh, went over to England in 1974, lived there in London for a year, tried to get uh, to the United States. It was not as easy as uh, one would have hoped. Uh, it took 11 tries, but on the 11 try, they finally said, screw it. We better give these guys a visa or they're never going nice. <laughs> to take us along. <laughs> right on. And, uh, <laughs> got a visa for myself and two brothers and i uh, gave up every everything we had out there in you know 16 hours wow. and was on a you know pan am flight from london to dulles the very next wow. day so dropped off in india at the age of 13 that's special wow that yeah, took boarding uh, school yeah boarding school that tells me that took some real perseverance and, and a vision on your part it, it what point did you go i've got to get there I'm, this is not for me. I want to get there. You know, it was kind of an inst instinctual thing here all your life. You know, you're looking for something bigger and better to do all your life. As far as coming to the United States, it, it, it was a dream. It wasn't my dream. It was everybody's dream. We sat there and I was watching Popeye in black and white and there were na you know, neighbors TV when I was four years old, five years old, you know, and, and, and watching American football. And, and it's a world of curiosity. It's a world of there excitement, color, all the things that was, you know, absolutely. So are you telling me that Popeye speaks Farsi? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think, you know, <laughs> and that's uh, the, the, nice. the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's amazing. Yeah, you can still get a burger on and pay you, you next Tuesday. Very cool. Oh, that's awesome. So you got to the States. Uh, sounds like you're about 17, 18 years old. I was 17 years old. I finished high school. I, I got here in uh, December of uh, 1974 and went right into high school. I only had about three months of the 12th grade to finish before, uh, you know, went into you know January. And I think by, you know, April or May, school was over. So that was my introduction to, to America was last, you know, four months of high school oh in Arlington, God. Texas. 
uh, and just of course went through that pretty. It wasn't very difficult at that point because the, the the level of education, you know, overseas was just different. You know, what you were studying in India and in England was just, uh, you know, when it came to a lot of things other than, you know, say history. So you know, the math, you know, uh, you know literature, some of the other stuff. Uh, it didn't. You it wasn't a very difficult transition. Peers, when you got to the United States. <laughs> You know, unfortunately, yeah. yes, I, th- I think in a way. So everybody was asking, how are you going to get through high school? Are you going to get through the finals? You know, and I just looked at the books and said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll manage. <laughs> and you got through it. But again, you know, America is America. It still doesn't matter what the education or anything like that. It's still, I mean, it comes to colleges, universities, you know, the, the top six or eight best ones in the world are all here. But anyhow, that was it. So uh, I went to college across the street, UTA, okay. UT Arlington. Just got restaurant jobs. Got a job at TGI Fridays back then. There was only yeah. one. And Greenville Avenue in Dallas, that was the only, the original one. And, and worked my way behind a bar, became a bar back and a bartender. And uh, on a cold, wintry day, uh, a fellow bartender got his pilot's license. And he said, Cam, you want to go out on a flight? And I couldn't believe that right. he's asking me to get on an airplane. You know, to me, an airplane was an airplane. I mean, you don't right. just get up and go. That was my first, you know, pure introduction. So grabbed me up. He took me in a little Cessna and um, we went up at Redbird Airport. Just did a couple of touch and goes. And I said, this is it. <laughs> this is what I want to do the rest That's of my awesome. life. Use tip money and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and learn how to fly. And I would go back years and decades later and I would meet that same bartender, actually Morgan Winans. Morgan, if you can hear this. <laughs> Thank you for getting me into uh, into the field, Morgan. Uh, you know, when I would go, what are you doing here, dude? You know, you you're the one that got me into this. You got to go out, and then and he wouldn't. An interesting thing is, fast forward thirty years, I'm at the end of a jet bridge in Honolulu, getting ready to pick up an airplane, and it's a Czech airman bringing the airplane in from somewhere. We do the normal thing, you know, ask for the rides and the paperwork and all of that. And we, we were doing all that. And as I'm talking to the Czech airman. There's a tall guy about 20 feet away and, and he's staring down at us. And then I'm talking to this guy, very aware of these other set of eyes oh, that are yeah. staring at me. And then, you know, the guy yeah. takes a couple more steps forward, staring again, you know, and a couple more steps till he's right on my shoulder here, staring right dead ahead in my face. You know, it's looking right. I'm like, uh, my natural reaction is like, you know, right. I didn't know she was married. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but yeah. jokes aside. Uh, and he says, you're Cam. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it was Morgan Wines. Oh my gosh. He had made it. He had flown for Eagle for, you know, many years and gotten through the, you know, the system into American Airlines and was just getting his check right. He was only about a year or so from retirement, uh, but he had managed to get it. And it was, uh, it was pretty cool. That's pretty pretty awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a nice uh, crossing of the T and dotting of the I for that story. That's awesome. So obviously you got bitten hard uh, by the aviation bug. And so that was your focus at that point. It was, and it was, it wasn't the easiest time. This was 1978 is when, uh, yeah, when I first started, when the the year I soloed out of Arlington airport, place called Cawthron Aviation, I think it was called. It was 19 December or so of 1978. And uh wasn't the best time to get into the regulation that right. just hit in. So good airlines or you know, Braniff having difficult times. And we all know, you know, what happened to Eastern and Pan Am and twice. the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So a lot of guys uh, on the road, a lot of guys furloughed. 
not the best time to be wanting to get into that. But again, like you guys know, I mean, that's what we all have in common, regardless of where we're from. We're all pilots yeah. bitten by the bug. Yeah. You just are. And so uh, I just kept uh, learning how to fly. I, I transferred with Fridays from uh, Dallas to Southern California, and uh, I just used tip money. And I would uh, go to the, um, you know, well, I got my private pilot's license out of Torrance Airport. And I would just grab but anybody I wanted on Fridays. I wanted to go to Catalina <laughs> for five bucks, you know, like Palm Springs for 15 bucks. So I just divide up the cost of the plane by the number of people, seats there were. Oh, you it was bet. always taker. Yeah. So, yeah, I did that because people were going, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, you take a little Cessna and you put it, you know, right on the deck, 10 feet above the water. You go all the way to Catalina. It's only 20 minutes. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. <laughs> Even though you're only doing maybe yeah. 100, 150, you know, 30 miles an hour, whatever it was. You get over there, land, you know, have a buffalo burger and come back. It's, yeah. it's an afternoon. And so these guys loved it. So I got some time that way and uh, learned how to fly. Uh, you know, then I taught flight instructions, did that for a while. But even the, there's a story there, even the, the school that I was at, Martin Aviation, you know, they didn't, didn't have any openings. There was just too many instructors for the number of people that wanted to learn how to fly. And, um, you know, I was walking out of the class, uh, the school one time, and then I saw this guy that's coming in, this foreign looking guy. I said, What are you doing here? He says, I want to learn how to fly. So, where are you from? He said, I'm from Iran. I said, You go in there to those guys and you tell them you want to learn how to fly, but you need a Farsi speaking instructor. <laughs> so, I went, to, I went to Fridays to do my shift that night. Like, <laughs> there was a phone call that says, Cam, can you start tomorrow? Uh, <laughs> we got a guy here that wants, you know, <laughs> Okay, yeah, here perfect. I come. Hey, man, if you aren't always working and, uh, your ball, right? You know, you got... <laughs> yeah. Well, right you did whatever you had exactly. to do. I mean, you know, it's great. Yeah. That's very cool. Well played, sir. Congratulations. Yes, well played. So uh, you you built some time CFIing and then. Um... Well, yeah. So I was uh, I was doing both jobs. I was standing bar at night and doing CFI stuff. CFI, double I, MEI, AGI, you know, you every I that I could come up with. Then at nighttime, I was uh, standing bar, and of course, TGI Fridays, you know, was the place to go back. To. And uh, a lot of pilots would come through there. A lot of furloughed pilots, you know, a lot of Air Cal guys that were, you know, had private pilot jobs. And of course, you know, once they were pilots, uh, they didn't much pay for right. drinks for a lot of times. I'm not supposed to say that, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> what are they going to do, fire me? <laughs> And so made some contacts. And these guys, you know, they needed a warm body in their planes once in a while. They would just say, hey, Cam, you know, I'm, I'm doing a test flight. I'm going from here to whatever. Do you want to come? And I just jump on and got some time that way. King ears, Lears, you know, whatever. And then just kind of went around the country wherever I could get a job. Like most of us did. I mean, if you guys are in the military, you know, God bless you. You, you. you went through the hard courses and you got all the training and all of that. But general aviation, especially back then. I mean, you did whatever you had to do to get hours and then to get heavier equipment, you know, bigger planes, jet time, whatever. So there was a lot of that going on. Went around the country wherever I could get a job, three months here, six months there. Ended up eventually in uh, out of Van Nuys flying uh, Learjets. When the time came to do that, I was, you know, again, just as the warm body sitting in the right seat of a Lear 135 operation, just kind of a charter operation. They lost one of their captains. So I, I went into the, uh, uh, the the owner's office at the point, and and I said to him, you know, give me give me five hours of time in the left seat, with you know one of the one of your pilots that I have out here, and then put me up with the hardest check ride uh, check airman that you want, and and if I pass, then make me your lowest paid captain and work me harder than anybody can. 
And if I don't, then, then don't worry about it. Either I'll pay for those five hours out of my paycheck. So you don't have to worry about it. So I'm talking to the owner. He's across the table. He's listening. But director of ops is sitting to my left. And I can just see his head is just shaking the whole time. He's shaking like that. And I'm, I'm just trying to tell him to shut <laughs> right? up. Don't shake your head. You know? I'm not done talking. <laughs> Let me do my thing. Yeah. This, this is hard enough as it is, dude. Right. So the owner tells me, I'll, I'll let you know my decision. Calls me up that night, says, if you're crazy enough to do this, I'm nice. okay with it. Okay. So I get five hours. I get a check. You put me up at a check him and I pass. And I'm now the <laughs> lowest paid captain. But they take the thing to the insurance company. And the insurance guy goes, what did you do? Says, you gave the guy five hours of trend. Now you want us to insure him <laughs> and you? What are you, nuts? So at that point, everybody was committed. So they ended up after all of this is over, after I'm the captain, uh, they send me for a two two week at Simu flight at DFW airport, two full weeks, (laughs) full school. Which was like, couldn't we have just done this to begin with? Yeah. Because it's a jet, you have to get what's called a type rating in in the airplane. It's not... it, and that's not a simple thing. You have to know systems cold inside and out. It that's a big deal. So, and training's expensive. Yes, it is. So that was a commitment. <laughs> it, it, was, it was. That's a that's a great story. Oh, oh my so, gosh. So uh, now, is this the outfit you were with when you uh, were <laughs> were flying? Were you Teterboro with no from, oxygen? Yeah, Teterboro to the West Coast. <laughs> No, no. This was National Jet okay. Charter. It was it was a good outfit. Uh, it was a lot of work. But the other outfit, and I probably shouldn't mention their name. It, it was out of Long Beach, the other place where you know the guy said, "Get on the plane, come over oh here. You're fired where you stand." And uh, like a dumb shit, I I did exactly what I was told. Uh, but I still remember it. And Forty years well, and have you passed. Lived fight. You lived right. to fight another day, and you, you learned a lesson. And uh, oh man, that was a bad position to be in. Right? Terrible. It was, there were no jobs. There were literally yeah. no jobs. You know, I, I couldn't fly, couldn't tow banners for seven yeah. bucks an hour. You know, I, I ended up, uh, eventually I, I got this job, uh, flying a Navajo between Orange County and LAX. What? <laughs> Talk about ridiculous. This, this outfit had a, had a chief pilot. Again, I don't mention names or anything, but imagine one passenger. I don't know, Navajo. I don't know if you guys know, it's like eight seats yeah. or something like that. You go in, you, you know, load up the guy's bag. We sit over here. And, and, and on my training flight, the, the guy that's training was two pilots. There was director of operations, which was the other gentleman. And then I was the only pilot. So I'm in the left seat. He's in the right seat. And he turns around and we have one passenger in the airplane. The passenger, one single passenger is sitting behind me in one of eight seats. And he turns around and he starts briefing this guy as if he's briefing in a 747. And he says, well, in the event of decompression... Going, dude, we're going to like fifteen hundred feet. They got elevators that are taller than this. You know what decompression? Yeah. We're not even pressurized. Uh, so he says the whole thing here, and he just uh, well, we don't have any oxygen, but you know, I'm thinking, it's yeah. just embarrassing. You know, a job is paying ten bucks an hour or something like that. We go to LAX, you know, and and it's his leg. He lands the plane, and it's just he, he greases it on. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful landing. I'm going, gee, there's no way in heck I can do this. So he lands it, and and we're just rolling down, you know, two five left, and um, and he just turns around and says, "Sorry." I'm going, oh shit, this guy is sorry for this. <laughs> I am in deep trouble. Uh, 
Next one, you know, about, you know, I don't know, two or three landings later, it comes in and just bounces it all over the place. I mean, we, we had like four or five landings out of that one. Like, what, no apologies right. for this one? <laughs> you know, just sorry for this other one. Anyhow, a lot of stories like that. Wow. But um, So I didn't have the, the luck, the opportunity to fly some of the great airplanes that you guys did in the military. But, yeah, but uh, you, got a lot, you got a lot more character you know, it was, now. It was a, See. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Let's go with that. But <laughs> yeah. so, hey, that uh, I want to. I want to just back up for a second. The uh, we we do have non-aviation listeners, and so would you just describe what a uh, it's a Piper Navajo, right? It's a piston-driven twin-engine small airplane with eight seats. Right. Yes. Flying yeah, into seats. LAX. And, and it's one... <laughs> Right. It's funny. You go down LAX, you know, on that second floor, you see Delta, American, United, and then you'll have the name of this airline with one airplane and two pilots. It, so if you, you know, it was, there right. we were. Yeah. And it <laughs> was it Orange was. County to LAX, which if you had to drive, it was what, 40 minute drive? 40 and, minute and drive. Fly, and, you're, and it's a seven um, or eight minute flight in your, uh, in your Navajo or maybe, maybe 10. Yeah. But half the time they would say, you know, no, because they don't oh, want yeah. you there. They, they they really don't have time for little airplanes. So the guy would say, as you get into approach into LAX, they go, you see, you see that high school next to you on your left? Yeah. So just circle <laughs> over it until I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What do you mean? <laughs> you know, so there you would be. One, two, three, five, <laughs> ten turns. Burn some gas. So, like okay, now we can you, squeeze you. Yeah. Oh, man. That's right. So it wasn't eight or ten minutes. I mean, it took 20, 25 to get there, but. And it was yes. a job, you know, and it paid yes. 10 bucks an hour. Wow. And so I, I can only assume that people that your, your passengers were, were avoiding, they live, they live closer to Orange County and they didn't want to drive. So they would take your, your flights to LAX to catch a jet going to wherever. Yeah, it did. It was the connecting, yeah. uh, the connecting flight, you know, but back then, I mean, it wasn't like passengers, you know, I, I, I don't think we ever got <laughs> plural on any of the legs with it. Did you do cargo flying at all, you know, in the, to build time? I did a very brief time here. I mean, in some of the bigger airplane airlines on the East coast, uh, there was a lot of Learjet uh, time. So, um, and then we'd fly whatever they gave us. But uh, one of my, you know, um, and there I was stories, you know, listen, we've all had those. I've got five times in my whole career where I really wish I was, was on the ground. But one of them was a cargo flight, <laughs> you know, 39,000 feet in a Lear, uh, early, early model, 24, 23, 24 series. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Lear just at bit. all. Um, they have a backup pressurization system. It's got a little cherry pick where you get to open and close okay. the outflow valve. The Southfield, what I was, I was a part of, uh, was really just, just shady maintenance operation. The primary system didn't work. So they had us use the standby system the entire time. You, you know, when you climb up, close the outflow valves, you're going down, you open the outflow valves yeah. using the cherry pick. You just beat up on your ears a little bit. But other than that, you know, we managed it. And again, it's a, it's a job. You do whatever the heck the job was. It wasn't like now where people pay you to become an airline yeah. pilot. Yeah. This, you, you really had to work to, to be, to get a job. And so we're at 39,000 feet, middle of the night, two in the morning. I'm FO, and there's a captain out there in the left seat, and the outflow valve just lets loose. The secondary system just lets loose, opens oh, wide boy. up, and you get full-fledged this, uh, you know, explosive decompression. The whole thing, the noise, the, the crystallization of the moisture. Of course, you reach for your oxygen, but you, thankfully we had oxygen, but you can't 
put them, you can't don them, you can't put them on your head or anything like that. None of things stuff works. So you're kind of holding it with one hand on your face, you know, as <laughs> oh we dive goodness. down the deck, get down to 10,000 feet. And I'm looking over here, the captain is just, his hands are just shaking. And then back then, you know, it was, was smoking, obviously, and he was a smoker. So I just took the plane and said, dude, light one up right now. We need to relax. We got to get this thing down. And uh, of course, none of the cargo in the back was tied down. So in the explosive decompression, as you got whatever it was, 15 degrees nose deck yeah. and nose down deck, all of that cargo went against the door, just slid against the door. So we come down, we land in Kansas City. Yeah. Of course, we can't get out of the air. All the cargo is jammed your door right. shut. Oh, my God, no. Oh, that's right. They got to go open the door from outside, pull the cargo out, pull us out so we can go and yeah. clean oh up our underwear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I guess I'm assuming you Kansas City was the closest uh, when this whole thing went down. It, it is. We were right over it. I think it was 2 in the morning. Of course, all the cargo back then was we were, we were based out of Kenosha, Wisconsin. A lot okay. of car parts yeah. over there. And you just take those car parts and take them wherever. And, of course, it's just, again, fly-by-night, you know, uh, operation here. Middle of the night, you went out. You, you, you fueled your own airplanes. This was December, January, February. Probably putting in, you know, 500 gallons in the <laughs> Lears at wingtips, you know, at 2 in the morning. That was, was that a gravity feed? Uh, was it was just like a filling station type, or was it a pressure feed? No, that was it. You, no, it was a gas oh station. Gosh. Uh, you know, you pulled your car yep. up to the yep. edge of the wingtip, you grabbed the thing and you shoved it down and, and it was just, it, was, okay. it fed yep. like it fits your car. But we would do it, you know, one guy would be out there for about 30 seconds, <laughs> you know, and the other guys in the, you know, in the car with max seat, the car is parked right next <laughs> to the wingtip. Then you switch after 30 seconds. The other guy goes yeah. in and you go in and you do that. Fly and blow wow. with a 20 knot wind, uh, oh holding that metal nozzle starts to get uh, a little uh, dimple. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't matter how many well, how many layers of clothing you wore. It was just cut right, just oh, went right yeah, through yeah. that stuff, especially a Southern California right. boy over right. here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that is terrible. So w- let me ask this. How, how did you wind up getting out of the flight deck of that thing? There, there weren't any windows on that thing you could get out through, were there? No, no. You, uh, We waited. We, we pulled into the in a local FBO, and when we on the radio, we told them we can't get out. I mean, I'm as embarrassed as we are, we can't get out. So they came in. They opened the door from outside. They pulled all of the cargo out. They got us in. We all shook our heads. We're just embarrassed and wow. scared and everything else going, really? I mean, you're making me fly with a standby system for Days on end. And again, back then, it wasn't like you could say, screw you. I'm out of here. I'll go to the union. Right. That stuff. You said, yes, sir, because there was six other guys waiting for the job. You had that job and you were glad to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And fortunately, there was someone on the ramp that night that knew how to open the door of a Lear. I mean, that's. (laughs) Yes. It worked out. The gods were with us. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I guess lacking that, they would have had to call Crash Crew or something like that over. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a lot of that stuff. Listen, you you guys, uh, yep. you were both yes. military. You've had, I'm sure, you, your own stories, which were you know going to be you know hair raising as hell. Uh, we all have our stories, but again, in in our in the in the general aviation world, especially back then, I mean, today it's different. You're going to get a job with people that are going to have to treat you well because if they don't, you'll go get a job somewhere else. It's uh, a different time right now. Right. This is unprecedented it times really is. right now. Yeah, they've been talking pilot shortage for the. 40 some odd years that I've been around and mm-hmm. I never saw it till just now, but I'm looking at this. Uh, so many good 
good buddies of mine. They're all retired, yeah. like me. They hired everybody in the you know early and mid eighties. Now they got up, everybody retires and all at the same time. Bring them on at the same time. Yeah. They leave at the same time. Yeah. So that's what's going. Uh, obviously, that's what's going on. But to this extent, I mean, I had never seen it. I had never thought this this would come. But kind of thrilled no, that it has. It's, it's we we are in truly unprecedented time. It right is now. good for the younger as as, generation. As as the aviation, no doubt about it. Yeah. So. It's amazing. People ask me all the time, is it safe? Is it, uh, because you got a lot of young, young people out there in the cockpit. And, and my answer is, you know, in, invariably, yeah, safe. It's safe because listen, we all work for major airlines and we know what the training is like and we know what the proficiency is like. And we know what, if somebody's not ready, they just, they don't beat you up and they just make you go back and, and, and do it again and again until you're ready. And if you're not ready in a very, very rare case, you know, then they'll find something else for you to do. But, Almost always, they train you to the point where you're you're good and you're comfortable. That's one of the things that is just just wonderful. I mean, look at this. Looking at the safety right. records of these airlines. I mean, just where we are compared to where we were not long ago, uh, it's pretty amazing. And just the the way the training went at American Airlines, the the, the difference that that I saw in the 35 years I was there uh, was day and night. Right. And I, I don't think anybody isn't on it anymore now. There's there's the, a thing called ASAP, right? American was one of the first ones to go to that, right? Uh, when I left, yeah. ASAP was very much yeah. a thing. So, um, so that took over right. the NASA you know, so deal. And, and for the listeners that don't know great. what that is, ASAP is Aviation Safety Action Program. And the airlines have, I, I believe, that whereas not just the airlines, the military is doing it as well. And there's some corporate aviation, the charter groups that are doing it and the best way to describe it is if you punish a mistake then the only errors you will discover are those that can't be covered up and the asap program has been designed to give forgiveness in exchange for full disclosure so when something bad happened you came forward and said well this is what we were thinking this is what we saw this is what we heard so in the old days you the pilots used to clam up because you're going to get some time on the beach, yeah. but not anymore. You give full disclosure. And as a result of that, as long as it wasn't what they call uh, uh willful disregard, there's five big things, drugs and alcohol involved, criminal intent, that kind of stuff. But as long as there was, it was an honest mistake and it was something like at risk behavior. Now there may be additional training so that you don't do it again, but th- there isn't punishment on your ticket and your ability to earn a living and so they've been able to discover all these problems that have been hidden for years. So uh, I'll relinquish my soapbox now. That was a very good explanation, my yeah. my friend. Very well yeah. done. <laughs> well done. Yeah, it, it really was. But you know, <laughs> listen, it's it's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful program. And if if anybody's not sure how wonderful, it's one of the very few things that the company and right. the unions agree on. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's that wonderful because it really does. Uh, has you know made things right. so much yeah. better. I mean, that's why we are in. I believe that's why we're in the safest period in commercial aviation history. the The rates have plummeted. Uh, the rates of accidents and deaths have plummeted, and that's a beautiful thing. Well, here's a, a couple of quick stats here um, in regard to that. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of interviews here, and, and in that process, I kind of got an opportunity to to read up a little bit on this. You know, you've always heard that flying is safe safer than driving right. cars. But nobody that and I know of has really put stats to it. I looked it up. If you get, you know, you want to go get in your car, go get a you know gallon of milk, your chances of getting into a serious accident are about one into five thousand. 
If you're going to go get on an airplane, go from A to B, your chances of getting into a serious accident is one in 11 million. And and then there's some other weird statistic added to that. And I don't remember exactly what the number is, but it's like your, your odds of dying in that accident that you just talked about, you're one in 11 million, your odds of dying are less than half, well below half. So things are going to happen, but of course, everything is always sensationalized on the news, right? An airplane comes out of the sky and people die. And of course, that's always on the news for, for days and days and days. That's why everyone's terrified of it, but because you're helpless in the back. <laughs> yeah, it just, that is what it is. Okay. Well, that, this is a wonderful uh, path to wander down. Yeah. Let's get, let's get, let's get back to, Hey, so uh, I, I would like to ask Cam how, uh, so where, when did you uh, start your airline career? I'm assuming maybe you didn't go right to uh, the major airline. Uh, did you go to a regional first or how'd that work? No, I didn't. So it was, uh, again, you know, I started off with, uh, with flight instruction and just worked my way around the country. Uh, went to Dallas. I flew, uh, King Airs in the right seat and in the left seat and some Lear jets in the right seat. I came, uh, went to Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, did from some Lear flying and then ended up in, uh, Van Nuys airport where the, the story that I was telling you ended up on the left seat of a, yeah. you know, old Lear's. And then, uh, then the airline started okay. to call. Okay. So I got a job, you know, I got interviews with United, uh, you know, uh, and then, then I started, you know, doing some of that. I, I got a job with, uh, Continental, but back then Continental had just finished, you know, all of their, uh, they were going through a lot of turmoil. Oh yeah. They had a big strike in the mid eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Strike and yeah, they had a strike. They had, you know, scabs and all of this stuff yeah. that was happening. It wasn't, it wasn't a, my eye was just on American the whole time. So I went in. I put my, my stuff in and, and, and I got a chance to do, go, go through the interview process. I had two interviews. Then I got rejected. And, and I go, Oh my God, you know, that's, that's the end of that. Cause a lot of people got rejected. And I found out I wanted to dig into it and see why I got rejected. And it turns out that I got rejected because I had two tickets. I was living in Texas. I was, I left Texas to come to California and I got two speeding tickets within 30 oh. minutes of each other. And it really pissed me off. And I Tell said, me it wasn't the same guy. I'm never going to. Oh, you didn't pay him. I'm never. Yeah, right. Inside, just on two sides of El Paso. And, um, and, and I said, I'm never coming back. And, you know, and I let them both went to warrants oh. for my arrest. Oh, you know, no. Speeding tickets. So those two speeding tickets cost me two oh, years of seniority. Gosh. So I, I, I corrected them. I went back pleading with my, you know, uh, hat in my hand and I, and I, and, and they said, okay, well, come back again. And so they did all three rounds oh over gosh. again. And, um, and it was, it was great. So I went there five visits and my last visit, um, you know, was, was a captain's review board, you know, where you drop in your, your log yeah. books in the morning and you don't see him. Pete, I think I told you this story here. It's, it's one of the moments. It was, it was a defining moment in my aviation career. I walked into, it's the very last thing that you do after five visits, probably total of, you know, eight or right. nine oh days of interviews and testing, everything else. And I walked in and uh, these guys have had my log books. They've been looking at it, all my licenses, everything. And uh, two gentlemen sitting out there. And, uh, the guy looks at my name, you know, and then it's, you know, camp, camp, you know, my, and it just doesn't sound, you know, it's not right. John Smith, you know, and he says, where are you from? And this was, you know, uh, mid eighties, uh, you know, 86, 1986. And, uh, not, not as know, popular then, time to be around. You know, you're from <laughs> no, no. Like every time we were, you know, access of evil for six months, oh, we all sure. became Persians. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> 
and and so we were out there and and and, and this guy's looking at my stuff and he says you know where are you from uh, and and to me it was you know uh, I, I want to be in a place that I either belong or, right. or a place that I don't belong. So I was just straightforward. I was born in Iran. Here I am. So yeah. I told the guy that I don't know if he noticed something in my voice, in my uh, behavior, something, you know, but it just turns around this old guy and says, son, I couldn't give a crap where you're from. All I care about is what kind of nice. pilot you are. <laughs> and when I heard that, I said, I am home. Nice. Absolutely. I have arrived. I am yeah. home. Yeah. It was truly a defining moment in my life and one that I'll never that's, forget. That's awesome. So that was in 1986. That's awesome. And you uh, flew what models of airplanes at American? Uh, everything American had. The first five years, I went through five airplanes. In the next 30 years, I went through three. First, you're yeah. excited. You know, you want to do everything. You know, I did engineer on the stuff, you know, 7-2, DC-10. And then I did FO and, and everything else, Super 80, DC-10, 7-6, triple. And then I did left seat on, on all the buses and the uh, triple seven and punched out on the big one. Hey, Fig, have you heard about Factor? It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. They deliver these amazing meals straight to your door. Oh, really? That could be a game changer for us pilots constantly on the go and all. Absolutely. And during the prime spring season, when we need convenient meals to fuel us for our flights, Factor can be a lifesaver. No more worrying about finding wholesome food when we're in a hurry. I couldn't agree more. With Factor, we can skip the grocery store, skip the chopping, prepping, and have so much time. Just imagine the convenience of having ready-to-eat meals. And the best part is that their meals are fresh, never frozen, and ready in just two minutes. No need to sacrifice taste or quality when we're pressed for time. That's true. Plus, they offer different options to cater to our dietary needs and goals. If we're watching our calorie intake, they have calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. And for those days when we need an extra boost of energy, their Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving will come in handy. It's perfect for keeping us alert and focused during our flights. Absolutely. Repeat. With Factors Diverse Menu, we don't get bored either. They have options that fit different lifestyles, including keto, vegan, plus veggie and more. It's like having a personal chef. Don't forget the add-ons. We can supplement our meals with breakfast items like their delicious apple cinnamon pancakes or replenish our snack supply with their assortment of 45-plus options. That sounds like a dream come true. Not only is Factor a convenient choice, but it's also a sustainable one. They offset their delivery emissions source renewable electricity, and even offer sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. So let's head to factormeals.com slash so there I was 50, five zero, and use the code so there I was 50 to get 50% off our first box. It's time for us to enjoy delicious meals without the hassle. I'm with you, repeat. Code so there I was 50 at factormeals.com slash so there I was 50 for 50% off your first box. Let's savor every bite and keep soaring through the skies with full bellies. Cheers to that, Fig. Here's the fueling up, saving time, and conquering the skies with Factor by our side. Fig, have you heard of the NoSillaCast podcast? Uh, no. Uh, what is that? Sounds like a show for nosy chinchillas or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. But don't worry. They don't. Only talk about Apple products. Whew. That's good. Well, what's so special about this podcast? First of all, it's been running every week for nearly 18 years without missing a single episode. 
Uh, that's longer than most marriages last these days. Wow, that's uh, impressive. I can barely commit to a gym membership for 18 weeks, let alone 18 years. <laughs> right? Well, the host, Allison Sheridan, provides excellent reviews for the tech she's actually using. But be warned, she's going to cost you money with her recommendations if you follow them. Oh, great. Just what I need, another reason to drain my bank account. There you go. But it's worth it. She reviews hardware and software that she's actually using. And she teaches how to use the Mac, the iPhone, the iPad in a segment called Tiny Tips. But she also wanders into other tech, like teaching the audience about solar and solar batteries and how she's using the Tesla full self-driving beta right now. And let's not forget about Bart Bouchatz, the security specialist who joins her every other week to talk about the latest security news and what you can do to protect yourself from various scams and hacks that are attacking your computers. Well, sounds like they got it all covered. I'll have to check that out. They definitely do. And you can find it at podfeet.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Who knows? Maybe you'll become a tech geek like Allison and Bart. All right. What was your favorite girlfriend? Because my mine's the triple seven. <laughs> I was going to say, damn, you knew about her? <laughs> well, you landed in Kansas City, love, so. It's everybody. I love your sense of humor, man. It's everybody's. I, I really do. I was ready with my death, yeah. so there I was thing here. But we can uh, come back, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, everybody's is that I know of yeah. is a triple seven. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's the queen. It is just just beyond wonderful. Um, it took me a while to understand what the what what an Airbus <laughs> is, you know, and why they mm-hmm. don't have a yoke. Um, but but by the time you know, I was on that for seven years, and uh, I kind of start to enjoy it towards the end especially when the Neos came out and I was doing a lot of Hawaii flying with that. So I started to like that, but it was, it's no triple seven. There's nothing that I always said, you know, Airbus wants to grow up and be a triple right. seven because I had a lot of the systems that were, you know, somewhat similar, but the, so there I was thing here, just how open can we talk? On yeah. this? Is this, no, you're good. Know, uh, is, is go? We are here for all the stories you've got. Well, you don't believe me. You don't have the time here. All together to get to that point. But I will, uh, you know, but I, I just so I don't uh, I was thinking about it just as as thing was going on. So there I was first year flying engineer doing my thing on a DC 10 first guy on the plane. I'm in the cockpit running around and trying to be, you know, as, as conscientious as I can to do a good job. Fly attendant walks in and she's one of the uh, older ladies i'm gonna say she was late 60s maybe 70s back then i'm i'm you know late 20s maybe 30 years old and she walks up to me and she puts out a hand just like that and says you know why you can't masturbate with this hand (laughs) no No. i don't know why she says because it's mine (laughs) you know what she walked away (laughs) i'm like Oh my God! What have I done? You know, what kind of place is this? You know? Oh my God! So talk about things oh. that stays with you oh, thirty-five yeah. years later. Oh, yeah, man. well, she she could smell the green on you, you know. So that was her thing, right? <laughs> Harass the go. new guys. Oh yeah, yeah. We've all oh, had yeah. that, right? Flight attendants, first flight. You have them run all the way down with a bag oh. of you know yep. trash bag and air sample. Air. You gotta get an air sample. <laughs> you know, air sample. <laughs> Been there, done that. You know, turning the, the, the seatbelt sign on and in the middle of it, you know, as they start making the announcement, <laughs> yeah. they turn it off. Uh, ding. Uh, captain has uh, st- uh, <laughs> <never mind. laughs> testing the switch. 
yeah. Yeah, you don't get to do that on uh, no cargo, uh, cargo no. flights. You're down here going, go, go. we're flying, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We, over can- we had a guy that did that. Actually did that. I was on the plane. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're flying over Kansas. Kansas is a dry state. Please, you have to put away all your drinks. <laughs> <laughs> People are, you know, putting away their alcohol. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> perfect. Uh, <laughs> so you got to do something here. We got all that's those right. miles to go. Well, yeah, yeah. I have a, several questions, but I I don't want to go too far off script. How are we doing on our uh, what time wise? Pre- yeah, yeah, we're about we we're a little over forty minutes in. Just in round numbers, how many flying hours did you end up retiring with from United Airlines? I'm sorry, from American Airlines. That was a Freudian slip. Yeah, you know, I didn't. Uh, my total hours at the end was just under twenty. Twenty under twenty thousand hours. Um, about that. Yeah, but but I did not fly as much as a lot of other people did. Um, but that also included the five or so thousand hours that I brought when okay, I okay. started with yeah. American. Um, so yeah, I didn't fly, you know, as as much as many other people. Um, it would have been significantly more, but it was still a, a lot. Well, you time. you had other uh, you had other um, interests and activities, right? Which I did. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's fairly common, actually. There are some um, professional airline pilots that they fly their asses off. And then there's others that enjoy uh, the time afforded off because they have other activities or whatever, right? So, you know, we call it the chase the money or chase the lifestyle. My first day as a new hire, there was a guy standing in the front of the room. He was about 75, 80 years old, teaching the basic doc and said, Every one of you needs to make sure you have an outside interest, a hobby, be it fishing or basket weaving or engine repair or something. But don't make this your hobby, too, because when it goes away at retirement, you will die quickly. This is you need to be interested in other things. Right. And and right. that's good advice. Yeah. Regardless of what you do, whether you're flying or not. Yeah, but. But you obviously had interest in, in writing. We'll segue into that in a little bit. I think it's a little early to do that yet. I want to hear more about your book as we get there. But I think you've got a couple other other fun stories in the cockpit. Let's go there. What, what's the funniest thing you saw, the scariest thing you saw over those uh, years? Uh, and it doesn't have to be in the American cockpit. Again, five incidents in 44 years. Mentioned one of them. Another one was, uh, again, flight engineer in a DC-10, uh, leaving uh, Chicago right at dusk, uh, you know, 3-2 left at T1 back then, whatever numbers have changed now. Six or eight years earlier, American had lost another DC-10 there when an engine left, you know, the number one engine left the plane. Um, And so same, we're going down the runway, we're past V1. And for those who don't know what V1 is, this is kind of a go, no-go speed. You can't reject because you don't have enough runway to to stop. I'm the FE, uh, Captain Wynn Evans in the left seat. The, The number two engine just blows up. I mean, literally blows up. One of the N1 blades, you know, titanium blades just gave out and it went right through the engine. So we are committed to, to lifting off. Uh, I mean, the airplane is just shaking and shuddering oh and, you know, uh, bear, bells and horns and whistles. Uh, Wind did a great job, slowly took us up in the air. And of course, the interphone's ringing. Immediately, the, the tower is telling us there's 50 feet of flame shooting out of number two. And I'm getting phone calls, calls from the interphone. They're saying that the wings are on fire. Saying, what the hell? How then the wings are on fire? So they're, they're seeing the reflection of the, of the fire on the wings in the dusk, dusk light and think that the wings are on fire. 
So crazy stuff. I mean, forget all the systems. And we lifted the gear, I think, out of 5,000 feet. <laughs> yeah. Raise the gear. There's stuff know. going on. Uh, worked that way. A lot was going on. We worked our way over the lake, you know, dumped the fuel, came back, landed in a sea of flashing lights, and then taxied right into the gate. Passengers all got off. We were the last ones to leave. We walked out, and, you know, everybody was clapping and applauding and all of this other stuff. Fast forward two years, two, two hours, us and all of our passengers are getting on the last DC-10 going home. And so we are now passengers working our way back into the, you know, into the coach section. I'm the last one to get on the plane. And again, nobody, I mean, everybody is looking. They want to talk to you. They want to shake your hand. Everybody's helping me <laughs> with my back, trying to find the place for it. And yeah, you can't do anything wrong, right? I take a seat. I sit down, <laughs> you know, and then I'm talking to people and I'm occupied, but the airplane isn't going anywhere. I'm talking, oh shit, why is it not? 15 minutes fast forward, you know, there's a guy coming up here in the front of the plane and he, you know, there's, there's a, uh, and, and he looks up at his, at his at his ticket, his boarding pass, and he looks up at the seat numbers, you know, takes another two or three steps, you know, looks at his boarding pass and his seat numbers. He does this four or five times till he gets to my seat and looks down at his boarding pass, the seat, you know, and then up and down two, three times. Shit, they sold oh, my seat. So I had to get up, try and find where my bags sure. are because they were oh, all over gosh. the plane. You know, and try and get them and just embarrassingly leave the plane. So here time was over. Yeah. It was time to you find the hotel. You went from hero to zero in a couple hours. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> in, in minutes. <laughs> you know, I could just feel people's hearts oh, breaking great. for me. They got kicked off the plane. That's crazy. That is crazy. That guy that took your seat is lucky he wasn't lynched by the... <laughs> crowd <laughs> hey he's a great guy no, you are taking nice him guy. <laughs> Saved our life. No. it was fun there was a lot of that going on i'm sure you guys have stories a couple of those oh, yeah. i think ours are probably more tactical my my uh civilian airline career has been blissfully boring and let's hope that it uh stays that way as i knock wood on my forehead <laughs> good for you i've shut down a couple yeah, engines no. here and there but That's... you know nothing nothing like uh-oh you know any other any other crazy passenger or uh, hey, there's this good crazy flight attendant story. Any pr- crazy passenger stories? Any issues with that? That's the thing I don't have to worry about. Uh, yeah, you know, a, a few. You know, nothing that that was 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 crazy crazy. I mean, we've had guys light up. We've had celebrities light up. In one particular case, I don't want to mention a name. You know, it was a she, and you know, lit up in the bathroom. And of course, you know, you get all these fire warnings and stuff. You go back in, and she does it a second time. You say, "Well, listen, you can't do this." You said it's only a ten thousand dollar fine. I'll pay the oh ten thousand dollar fine. No, it's going to be a ten thousand dollar fine. You do this again, we're landing somewhere, and somebody's coming up with a handcuff. So that was that. But we had we had a couple of guys. We had uh, you know another guy lit up in the car, you know, in the cabin. And uh, did it a second time. Of course, you know, he just we, we had our conversations, and he stopped. And this was a Honolulu trip. Landed over there, and I, I asked to. Uh, I said, I want to speak with this guy. See, you know what it is. And he came up, and he wasn't. He wasn't doing well. It was a lot of uh, mental issues and some other things. And you could tell that pretty quickly. So, just trying to find a way to make things as easy for him as possible that time. I. Looked at the medication he was taking and kind of helped him along the way, but nothing that was frightening, scary. Good with that. Yeah, we we like that. Yeah, that's the last thing you need, right? <laughs> we did too. 
Uh, we do too. Like I always said, you know, whether it's an engine that blows up, it's your responsibility, or you know, Iran got toilet paper, it's That's your right. responsibility. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just all well, yours. Actually, uh, I'm going to break. I'm going to do a point of personal privilege and privilege and break in with one. Then uh, my my wife is a uh, retired flight attendant, and her call sign is Sandwich Girl. there is a story there there. there. she came out of college she worked her last two years in college as a tour guide worked another six or seven years as a tour guide and got sick of going all over the world 10 11 months a year gone 25 days a month and no social life and after many many years of that she went you know i love the travel but I, i can't keep doing this and have any kind of a social life so I want to become a flight attendant. And she had wanted to become a flight attendant earlier, but she said, I'm going to do that. But she was making good money as a tour guide. But she goes out and goes to a open house at Logan Airport and goes through all the things. And they go, oh, great. Well, we'd love to have you down for a class date. And it's, you know, two weeks from tomorrow. She's like, ah, I've got an Australia trip uh, next month. I, I you know, I, and they said, well, it's it's two weeks or, or not at all. And she goes, okay, I'll be there. And then she drove down to uh, get rid of her job. And, of course, her boss pulls out uh, the calculator and goes, you see how much money you're giving up to go be a flight attendant? What are you, nuts? You know? It's like, no, no, it's yeah. something I want to do. I'm going to go do it. And so she did. And she got based in New York. And probably her second or third trip after finishing her initial training out on her own as a new flight attendant, She's on an L-1011, and she's pushing the sandwich cart up the aisle about three rows and handing out food and pushing the cart up the row and handing out food. And about the fifth or sixth time she goes to do it, she said this old blue-haired woman reaches out and pulls on her skirt. She said, she pulled on my skirt so hard I thought she was going to pull it off. And she goes, sandwich girl, sandwich girl, you forgot me. <laughs> my wife goes, oh my god! I said, okay. I said, well, what'd you do? She goes, well, I gave her a sandwich. <laughs> I said, well, did she at least say thank you? <laughs> no, she said, where's my drink? And my my wife didn't miss a beat. She goes, drink boy on the other side of the cart there is going to take care of you in just a minute. She said at that point she turned around, walked back in the galley, and sat down on the jump seat for a minute and put her head in her hands and just went. I was a tour guide for eight years. I was making great money. I've got a degree in hotel management. I've been all over the world. And I gave it all up to become a sandwich girl. But you know what her biggest mistake was? Telling me the story. Her no. call sign has been sandwich girl for 22 <laughs> <right>. years. <laughs> sandwich girl. You know, it's, it's, uh, if, you, if you're doing cargo, you obviously, you know, you haven't been around this. Uh, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're there for, for, for safety and security. And, and I know all of that. Yes, you know? they are. Yeah. And, uh, I just, you just hate to see that, hate to see what, uh, how oh, some yeah. of them were treated and, and the way that was, that was one of those things that we really had no patience yeah. for. Uh, you know, you, you just couldn't do it. And I had a number of occasions where, uh, where, where something would go wrong, either, you know, with an employee or, or a customer or a passenger or something, just no tolerance for that. Right. I mean, yeah, they they are trained. They are certificated airmen. They have FAA certificates. They operate equipment. They are there for a reason to save your damn life when things go to crap. So. Hey, I, uh, I I just had a flash. Uh, so so something one of you guys just said, I, I got, I'm going to tell this quick story. I uh, I was flying the 757 at the time and, you know, they board at door two uh, left, not door one left. So you have to walk through first class back and forth if you're going to go out and do the walk around. Well, I was going to go do the walk around. And as I'm coming back, they had already started boarding. And of course they board first class first. So I'm making my way through 
uh, first class, why these people are boarding. And there was a celebrity and his family on, on board. I think they let him down first because they were, they were like, like I'm not going to say names, but you'll know who this is. He's uh, got, he's a, she- a chef or something. And he got famous by doing this uh, sh- uh, show. He's got spiky white hair, uh, okay. right? Spiky blonde hair. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm on my way back to the cockpit and his wife with this giant bouffant, uh, you know, uh, hairdo says, Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Can you put my bag up here? And I went, sure. You know, I'm standing there. Why not? You know, I pick it up, put it in there. And she goes, now I would like a, a rum and Coke. He would like, and then he, they had their kids. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send the purser back here and make sure you get taken care of because I got to go get your airplane ready to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're wearing polyester. A lot of you know, you got a tie. Everybody looks alike, yeah. right? <laughs> that's right? That's right. You know, a lot of it is innocent mistake, but there is, you know, you're, you're hearing more and more about right. stuff that is not. Just, uh, I have never seen abuse like this or violence or anything, stuff that you're hearing on radio. I mean, on radio. Oh, yeah. That you're reading about all the time yeah. here. Um, I've never seen so these these flight attendants. They I they deserve never do much their job. They no, I could I, never. I, I couldn't either. There's there's a reason they don't arm the flight attendants. <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> right? No, we uh, yeah. we dependent on them. I mean, you know, if there's something wrong, whether it was passengers or equipment or anything that was out there, I know you you need them. You need to be completely and utterly depend on them. Such an integral yeah. part. Yes. Well, and you can't go. Uh, you, you can't go if you don't have them. I mean, you, you know, you have to have the right amount, depending on how many uh, seats you got. So it's because uh, because they're there specifically to get people off an airplane in an emergency. Really, exactly. Right? So where did you come up then? Let me let's move into it and say where did you come up with the plot for your book? And and let me preface this for a little bit. I was saying this pre-show before we went live. I'm probably two thirds to three quarters of the way through the book now. It is a great read. It's called High Wire by Cam Majd. I'm telling you, go to Amazon, get yourself a copy. This is a great adventure slash mystery slash terror novel. And it is really well written. I've read a lot of books by other quote-unquote famous authors that I don't consider their writing nearly as, as artful as this. Your, your writing is masterful. So how did you come I up with the plot for this? Were, were, was it well, whilst sitting uh, earning your 20,000 hours or somewhere else? Or where'd you go? There was a lot of that. A lot of ACARS paper was wasted. <laughs> you know, okay, notes, hang on. ACARS. Know, but, uh, yeah, that's a new acronym. Give, give it to me, uh, Fig. Automatic communication uh, and... It's... Uh, Oh, Cam, what's ACAR stand Anyone? for? Help me. It's the yeah. printer. Yes. We use it's, it's, it's how we it's, <laughs> we it's how we text back and forth with dispatch and sometimes yeah. ATC. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and you can print. You yeah. can yeah, print. Uh, get your get your and weather or, forecast or, at your destination. You can just, print, you can just uh, forward the paper if you need some scratch paper yes. to write on. Yeah. Which is, I, I think that's what camera is going to. with that. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I, I interrupted your flow so, there. So. Uh, yep. Sorry. Yeah. No, not at all. I should have, I should have mentioned that, but anyhow, so it was, it's all about fly-by-wire. Um, when I first learned and understood that the systems of fly-by-wire, uh, you know, and how it works, it, it was pretty okay. amazing to me. What safe mm-hmm. it is, how light it is, how. Uh, and you know, so I'm going to ask you to is. define fly-by-wire. 
in aviation, uh, you know, the flight controls, you know, the original planes, you know, all the way back to 1902, I mean, it was pulleys and cables. Pull the yoke and you moved it around and something pull something and, and the ailerons or rudders or whatever moved and the airplane moved through the air like a fish moves through water. Well, as airplanes became bigger, uh, then obviously the pulleys and cables no longer worked and now came in a hydraulic system, a special fluid under extreme high pressure, 3,000 pounds per square inch, moving through uh, some complicated piping to move those same very, you know, mm-hmm. the same flight controls. Uh, but again, maintenance on this was difficult. They were very heavy. And uh, so came, you know, flyby where, you know, it's essentially you're doing the same thing as you're still turning flight controls, but you're doing them through wires and computers and a series of small motors. So in a nutshell, even though we still have the yoke, we still, you know, triple mm-hmm. seven has a yoke. If, you know, these airplanes all have yokes, uh, you know, Airbuses. Uh, and you're still turning a yoke, you're pulling, you're pushing. Really, all you're doing is typing on a keyboard. <laughs> and it is that keyboard, even the feel, what you feel right. here is is artificial. Some you know, machines that are created to make you feel as if you're doing something when all you are doing is typing on a keyboard. So when I saw this and I learned about the, the system and, you know, and it's so safe and it's so solid, uh, but it's designed to be safe and solid based on some kind of failure, electrical failure, mechanical failure of some kind. But they're computers, and computers only do what you tell them to do. So in my world, I said, what if somebody tells this computer to do the wrong thing, and it doesn't understand it, just like a virus that you get on on your own personal computer, on your phone or something else. What if a virus is created that tells this computer that the information you're getting is right when it is not right? So I brought in an engineer from Airbus, one from Boeing. I sat them down in a Mexican restaurant with chips and salsa in the middle and a tape recorder going, and I ran the scenario by them. And this is what they told me. I don't know how practical this is, but if I were you, I would send a copy to both Boeing and Airbus's security department. Wow. Which wow. I immediately did. <laughs> I immediately Jaw put dropping. a copy on there. And, uh, and I, and I FedExed it to both security departments saying, dude, I'm, I'm an airline pilot. I'm writing this. I was told to do that. Yeah. So here you have it. It is the same. Like I'm writing the next story about Afghanistan and my sources are people on the ground in Afghanistan. And, and one of them is a reporter. And she said, every phone call you start to my, uh, to my satellite phone, you started with this is, you know, a book. This is research for a book. Because some guy sitting on a, Going to listen. you know, in a cubicle, some praying right. DC, you know, constipated with a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know, in their hand or a jar, <laughs> and they're listening to a conversation. Yeah. You make damn sure that everybody don't. So that anyhow, that's how I start all those conversations. Same way with this, a lot of research, real actual research, and that's what it was. And and it's not got the the seven thirty seven yeah. maxes. Fig, you can you can uh, talk about that a lot more than I can. The whole, uh, is it MCAS system? Well, it's software. It's, it's maybe not a system. It's software. It's software. It's a computer telling this guy that this airplane is about to stall and pushing yes. the nose down where you want yes. the nose up. And it did that yeah. all the way to the ground. Look at that Air yeah. France Airbus. What yeah. was that, 15 years ago when an air show in Paris just goes right into the trees? So this does happen. The idea that, that airplanes and computers will do things that they should not do is not as uncommon as it sounds. So in my world, I created that. What if, what if the information these computers are getting is, uh, you know, they, they feel that it is legitimate. There's still machines. There's still systems. And then what, what happens? You know, so through research, I created that. And then after that, it was, okay, if I have the story, 
Now, who's going to tell the story? And in my world, the story was, was always going to be a male, you know, cockpit. It was going to be a pilot, you know, man. And, um, of course, as you uh, both well know, uh, you know, uh, 15, 20, 30 years ago, you know, a long time ago, in the cockpit, we had uh, this, you know, little uh, tradition. There was always Playboy pictures sitting in nooks and crannies in the cockpits you got in there you looked at them and oh, wait wait well hold on a second cam I, I don't know what kind of place you were i've never heard this before ever. <laughs> listen that is not that that is not all black hair i'm looking at <laughs> oh my god uh, <laughs> well in theory in so, theory okay go ahead i'm sorry to interrupt uh, in, in theory, if that had happened, yeah. uh, one night uh, we were on a on a on a on a DC ten, and a flight engineer shows up. She's a female. Well, today, you only have six percent of the pilots in the cockpit are female. So imagine what it was yeah. twenty years ago. Oh yeah, so a lot less than that. Yeah. Female shows up. It's a girl, and you know we do our introduction. She's on probation, and the other guy reaches over and pulls out one of these pictures without even thinking about. It. None of us were thinking about it. it was just routine. And hands it over and starts to hand it to me. And we both go, oh, shit. You know, and we both realize. And she's seen it, of course, by now. And she's gracious. And she's wonderful about it. You know, she, uh, and, and and we look at it. And, of course, it, you know, quickly, you know, we fold it and put it away. Back where it was for the next guy. But uh, all the way, it was an all-nighter. You know, red eye LA to, to Kennedy. And all the way out there, I go, how strange is it? How weird was it for her to come into a place where... uh you know, it's 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 not normal. It's not just a male dominated that doesn't do it justice. When you know one or two out of a hundred people are female, it's yeah. not male dominated. It's right. only yes. You yeah. know, it's a football team, right? <clears throat> you know, and how strange is it for someone? And I understood that somewhat being being from Iran. You know, I mean, I was sitting there with all this F-16 and F-18 and F-14 jocks and carrier landings. Here's a guy that was a bartender, yeah, right? You know. Uh, you know, it's, you know, camel jacket coming in here and then and, and flying airplanes. Right. And so I, I was a little bit familiar with not, not feeling, you know, uh, not, not someone even not belonging, even though I always belonged. I, I always felt that this was home, right. you know, and, and no incident ever occurred to counter that. But it's still in my mind, there was always that feeling. So by the time I landed at Kennedy, I said, man, it's got to be, a, it's got to be a female, you know, so that she gets the blame. She gets the blame that you crashed it because you're incompetent, because you were hired on a quota, right. because, you know, yeah. on and on and on. And then uh, and then I made her, you know, first generation, you know, immigrant, uh, because that's where, you know, home is and right. what I was familiar with. And uh, Nice. So, yeah, so how, how, how long did it take you to write the book? You know, this book took six months, but I've had, you know, wow. books that have taken – 10 years you know well so uh, let, well, let me back up and just ask you so what uh what what how did you get started writing and what what, what was your driving force to write to you know write a story you know i um i'm never much of a reader and to my embarrassment uh you know and and it's not something that i gloat about but it is true it's just the way it is i have not read many many books in my life but i did read the the firm oh yeah so one of those long all-nighters, you know, the firm yeah. by John Grisham, and, and and I got through it, and I didn't have to get through it. It was easy to get through. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got to the end, I, I was so immersed with the characters and with the writing and with just the fun of it. Uh, and, and I said, you know, I think I can do All this. Right. 
So I went and bought a novel. Uh, it's a little novelette, you know, it's uh, how to write a damn good novel. It says it's only a hundred pages or something, you know, and I managed to get through that and I just came home and typed in chapter one. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know how many writers would kill oh to hear gosh, that? Right. Just- <laughs> right. They're like, it, it damn you, Cam. <laughs> now, listen, the, uh, this other one, Silent Voices, is taking a lot longer. Well, hey, uh, just to put you at ease, um, you know, Repeat and I are both Marines, so we, we really don't read much either. We, we really like pictures. Pictures are good for us. <laughs> picture book. Make it a picture book next. Exactly. Flew with a lot of Marines. Really good guys. Daryl Ashlock, if you're out there somewhere, I salute right. you. There you go. There you go. Oh, I often say for someone who likes to sleep late and doesn't like to run, I went in the wrong branch right. of the military. What were but... we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> that just didn't work out well no. for me at all. So awesome. So all right. So what's the name of your uh, your other book you're working on now? Uh Silent Voices. Silent it's Voices. about Two sisters, uh, two American sisters, um, you know, that look alike. They're a few years apart. One is born and raised in, in you know, the Northeast, you know, knows nothing other than just life here. And the other one was lost at birth. And she is, uh, you know, in, an, in Afghanistan. And she thinks she's an Afghan girl. Uh, in a raised in a, uh, uh, her mother was a journalist. So at, at birth, you know, an event took place. And she was separated, and uh, so she's raised, even though she's, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, light skin, she feels like she's cursed with all of that. She doesn't understand it. She's a complete Afghan. She's having to dye her hair with henna so she doesn't attract any more unwanted attention that she's already getting. Wow. And the story takes place 30 days before the U.S. pullout, you know, in July of 21. Okay. And uh, they learn about each other, and... uh, you know, then they have to find each other while they're fighting forces that are not, uh, you know, that, that are not yes. kind to them. Yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, real, uh, you know, underground Afghanistan, the way it was during that period of time, you know, and um, uh, in the events that take place. And uh, and when they find each other, eventually, um, you know, it's it's on a mountaintop, you know, as as, as forces are coming in to kill them both wow when's this book going to be wow. done because i want to read that one too <laughs> <laughs> right 90 days <laughs> okay oh wow okay oh that's awesome and how did you uh are are they're not self-published i don't believe are they no the yeah. the, the first two books were uh were published by uh bantam dell you know random house now okay and uh and highwire was nominated by for edgar's uh, by right. the Edgar Woods. Oh, right, um, I forgot to mention that. My apologies. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so what I did was, uh, so it, it did the the thing. And actually, Highwire original version of Highwire uh, was was sold prior to nine eleven, and the books were actually, uh, the, the 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 books were actually being sold into the bookstores on the week of nine eleven. It was scheduled that way, and the original cover had. Um, you know, had a had an airplane that's you know seven sixty seven. You know, in uh, a bank angle over New York, oh and it, gosh. big Ooh. letters across the top was faster than the oh speed of terror. Oh my gosh! The book was sold in twenty twenty, and it was scheduled to be sold the week of nine eleven. And I, you know, and anyhow, they didn't. They did would yeah. not delay it. Yeah. You know, pretty much the only thing I missed was Muhammad Ada's name. Oh my gosh! You know, uh, 
you know. And so first printing was supposed to be 244,000 copies in the U.S. alone. Of course, nothing nearly like that yeah. happened. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some people thought it even I had written a book in one week, you know, oh. about 9-11. And, and so there was some backlash towards that, uh, which, you know. Uh, so anyhow, uh, fast forward, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years, I forgot about it, went about my life, did other things. And then I just reverted uh, the, the rights back to myself, you know, a uh, while back. And uh, and so I'm I'm putting it out there myself the second time. Okay. This time in you know an audiobook version, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I'll tell you, see, the fact that it's Random House, Bantam, that that tells me that should tell you uh, he's no slouch. This man can put words on paper that are compelling to read. So it's a lot of fun. So you were so the book original uh, release was just a victim of timing, bad, bad, horrible timing yeah but there were so many victims that oh, were so oh, much yes. worse than me i mean i wasn't gonna sit there you know and then feel bad you know it still went to a second printing i still got nominated for the edgars you know and it was a big event it was wonderful to see all of that wonderful to be a part of all of it uh but you know it was it was just yeah. the way it was you know yeah. it's just one of those things so maybe that was a poor choice of words there, Fig, but but yeah, the, the nice save there, Cam. Well <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Just leave it to the dumb Marine. Oh man, right? Yeah. So uh <laughs> You guys you guys must know each other uh, for a while. Uh just a couple years now. Coming up on thirty or yeah. so. So uh you're finishing each other's sentences. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> What's your what's your favorite one to wrap us up with then? Just a quick version here. Okay, uh, no, take your time. The Moody the Moody Blues have been my favorite band all my life. I I mean I used to listen to them. Nice, you know, Nights in White Satin when I was two years old, probably. Well, not that old, but you know, um, prior to American Airlines, you know, we're flying the main two guys um, that are out there, flying them for a concert someplace, and. Um, and then one of the two, uh, you know, he's, he's fascinated by what I'm doing, you know, and in Learjet, I don't know if you're familiar, it's not, there's not enough, uh, there's not the older versions anyhow, there's not enough room to stand. So you got to really just kneel on your, on your, on your knees. So he was kneeling on his knees for an hour, you know, fascinated by what we're doing. And I'm looking at this guy, geez, I've been listening to you, you know, since I was in diapers. And I'm fascinated by him, his fast. So anyhow, we land, we go wherever we're going and I'm just, dying to go to this concert but i mean how do you do that how, how do you tell the guy you know a i can't afford your ticket b you know right. how do you even get your <laughs> ticket so i kind of created the version somewhere in there you know and, and I, I i don't know how i did it i walked up to the guy and said man i know been listening to your stuff and i really wouldn't wanted to see it but you know it's a shame i think it's sold out <laughs> sold out Sold out, no problem. Come here. You know, he grabs his thing from around his neck and puts it around mine. Backstage no. pass. So we flew these guys <laughs> for a week. And I was I got the backstage pass. I would go in. I mean, he was they were singing. I was so close I could touch them. Talk about, you know, it wasn't always loads of cargo, man. It was a it was hey, it was awesome. Big, big that's hunt. awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> oh man. Makes me want to consider flying passengers, you know. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. 
Well, Cam, we can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, your, your stories are fabulous. It's been very captivating. And I'm telling people, go get his books. You are not going to be sorry. He is quite the writer. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate hey, Cam, it. If I, uh, we need thank also to thank, thank somebody else, huh, Fig? Well, Who might well, that be? Uh, for, for, I, first of all, I, I want to say thank you to Cam. And I really have enjoyed this. But I, we, uh, uh, we got to say thanks to Dave Hamilton. That's the man, Dave Hamilton, Matt Geekab, help us put all this together. The brains behind the tech here. I just follow what he tells me to do, and it all comes out <laughs> great. <laughs> well, thank you, guys, Pete and Vic. Uh, you know, I, I have enjoyed it very much. I've done, um, you know, quite a few of these here in promote, trying to promote this book. This is you guys are fun. I can tell you that, uh, and 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 the way you you pick up for each other and do that. I mean, yeah, we we used to be special. wingmen. You know, it's been a pleasure. Well, yeah, well, yeah, we'd fly, we'd fly together. <laughs> let's see who else we got to thank here um oh i know who it is oh there it, it's the guys that make the air force sound good the dos gringos that's right the dos gringos so thanks to the dos gringos for letting us use their music it gives our show a little extra character perfect theme the word so there i was right in the middle of this song we love it we also have a couple quick announcements. We have now a Patreon page. So if you go to so there I was.us slash Patreon, it will take you to our page and you can help support us to bring this show to you every week. This is going to be show number 55 with Cam. So we're we're now over a year. We had a couple shows that we did a couple weeks where we did two shows in one week. So this is our uh, our one year anniversary show coming up big. So Holy that's cow. awesome, huh? That went fast. And we've got a glossary page up there because we say terms all the time in aviation that uh, we have no idea what it means, like ACARS. Not one of the three of us know what the hell it is. I'm going to have to look at (laughs) it. It's it's ACARS. It is what it is. It does what it does. So it's a printer. So we're yeah, we're gonna have to look up what ACARS actually stands for and get it in the glossary. <laughs> and if you heard other terms that you don't understand and you want them in the glossary, shoot us an email at fig at so there I was dot us or repeat at so there I was dot us. We're planning on a show in at show number seventy five, how to become a pilot. So whether you're fourteen or forty four or sixty four and you want to fly airplanes. Get some questions into us. We're going to help put a comp- compilation to show together about uh, what it takes to become a pilot these days. It's uh, which is kind of a popular thing for some reason. All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's not easy, but boy, the rewards have been fabulous for us, and we know they will be for you too if you got any kind of drive to do that. We've had the cross show uh, swaps here with the No Silicast at Podfeet.com and the Audio Ground School podcast and that's over at parttimepilot.com and of course factormeals.com slash so there i was 50 50 and use the code so there i was 50 to get 50 percent off our first box i don't know fig do you have any special advice uh, for anybody between uh, now and the next time we get together aircraft communications addressing and reporting system a cars don't sit on the ejection handle damn it right <laughs> stay safe and check six Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now, an F 16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life. 
we knew there was no way. Cause you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. What'd the song say, Fig? It's over.